0: Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. I'm delighted to be joined today by Francis Gassert from Visuality, the Strategy for Impact Lead. Welcome to the podcast, Francis. Thank you very much, Ian. You guys work with companies to measure impact, including land, carbon, and biodiversity impacts. Why are land, carbon, and biodiversity impacts important?
1: So Visuality has this nature accounting platform called LandGriffin that empowers companies to measure these things. Why are they important? Well, there's plenty of reasons, right? We can talk about the doomsday facts, highest global carbon emissions ever this year, 42,000 species threatened with extinction. 70% of wildlife population has been lost since 1970, and it's mostly due to land clearing for agriculture. We could talk about the compliance drivers, right? The new EU laws on deforestation and corporate reporting of sustainability risks. We can also talk about the PR and business risk management arguments for measuring these things. These are all true and important. But I find talking about them a bit tired and tiresome. I think the most compelling reason to work on nature to measure these impacts is one of opportunity. Agriculture is the source of civilization. It's the way we are tied to the earth, the way we most directly use and affect nature. And if you're managing sourcing for a Fortune 500 food company, aside from maybe a few government ministers, You probably have more influence over the future of Earth's biodiversity than almost any other individual in the world. We can be blind to the consequences of our actions, but why not take a look at your company's power and influence, the impacts of sourcing these materials, and see what you can do about it. So instead of focusing on the importance or the moral burden or the onus of compliance, I prefer to see this as an opportunity, a gift. Few people are lucky enough to have this kind of influence over the future of our planet. And this is also where companies can truly innovate and shape the future of humanity to choose to thrive in the world that we want to see, rather than to get by in the one that we're left with.
0: What are some of these developing opportunities then, more specifically?
1: Well, right now, measuring impacts on land and biodiversity are all, all voluntary for now. But very soon, that won't be true. So in the EU, we have the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive and that's going to be relevant next year. Companies that don't act soon are, are going to risk being caught out as it becomes easier to measure these things, they will become harder to ignore. For example, it was easy to ignore deforestation for many years until Global Forest Watch came out. And now we're all scrambling to figure out how to respond to the EUDR. It takes a lot of work to prepare and shift a company with hundreds of thousands of employees and tens of thousands of suppliers. And it's no easier for smaller firms with fewer resources
0: let's come to some opportunities in a sec, but we do need to address the risks that companies run if they don't measure these things effectively. What are the key risks that you see for companies?
1: It takes a lot of work to prepare and shift a company with hundreds of thousands of employees or tens of thousands of suppliers, and it's no easier for smaller firms with fewer resources. Collecting the data, learning how these things work, understanding these risks, and opportunities takes time. Business continuity, PR, and financial risks associated with dependence on water resources and nature. I used to work on this aqueduct project from the World Resources Institute, where we focus on measuring these water and climate risks to businesses, things like floods and droughts and supply chain disruptions that can come from these things. These are substantial to everyone in the sector, but I think focusing too much on the risk is actually a trap. Beyond these risks, for some companies, there might be a competitive advantage to locking in contracts with trusted suppliers there's a marketing advantage to being a first mover. For other companies, there might also be hidden risks that they discover in their supply chain. You know, bad actors that could blow up into bad PR or hidden positive stories where a small action can have a wonderful result. For a farming community, a species population, or an ecosystem.
0: In general terms, what should companies be thinking about in terms of what makes for effective measurement when you're thinking about your impact? So, from a top down perspective, which is the direction that we work
1: from, not from the bottom up, I would call out three things. The first is location matters. So, while the ton of carbon is the same everywhere, impacts on water, biodiversity, and society depend on the local context. You can't honestly assess impacts on nature without knowing where they occur. Second, it's important to look at the entirety of a supply chain instead of only focusing on the big commodities like palm oil or cocoa. So in our experience, there's a lot of opportunities that companies won't see until they do a holistic assessment. For example, one of our clients found that the biggest opportunity for change wasn't in palm oil, where they thought it was, but in rice. And then the third thing I would say is to measure and manage all of your impacts together, to not just do carbon to not have a separate team for water and for biodiversity, but to look at everything together, because there are trade-offs between impacts. An intervention that reduces deforestation risk might increase your land and water footprint. Looking at everything together lets you make smarter and more long-lasting decisions, things that have co-benefits, things that help you do multiple things at the same time. We've built our Land Griffin platform specifically to address these challenges. Of course, full traceability of every single raw material and supply chain is not realistic for most companies. It's even going to be really difficult for the selected commodities that are called out in the EUDR. We have this probabilistic model that takes procurement data that folks might have in Excel and turns it into best estimate maps of where these materials are being sourced from. So you can leverage this abundance of geospatial data that's being produced. It works regardless of the level of detail that companies have on their supply chains. If they know exact farm locations or if they're sourcing globally traded commodities, you can still manage the whole of your supply chain and all of its impacts together. And you can make forecasts and plan for the actions that will get you to your targets. The nice thing is if you happen to be a consulting firm or an advisor, this methodology and actually all of our data is fully open. You're welcome to use it for free.
0: Let's think about some of the data points that companies should be thinking about then when considering impact. What are the specific data points that companies should measure?
1: There are a lot of emerging recommendations and standards in the nature and biodiversity space. It's a little bit confusing sometimes. I think the guidance from the Science Based Targets Network is probably one of the best in terms of understanding how to measure. They have guidance specifically for land impacts carbon aligned with SBTI, the science-based targets initiative, water impacts right now, and they'll be adding ocean indicators very soon. There's a few things that they've done that I think are really important. One is that they've made sure to recommend indicators that are feasible to measure with global open access data sources. So you don't have to invest in tons of data collection to take the first step of assessment. The second is that they have guidance on how much each company is responsible for. And how much you should aim to reduce. We both have data that can help you take this first step, and you know already how far you should be going. And then finally, they're working very hard to align with many of these other emerging standards, TNFD, the CSRD, and the EU. We will have additional reporting requirements around non-financial risks, but the level of expectation or the level of detail that companies will have to report for these things is going to be much lower just by the fact that most of these additional indicators that are not called out in SBTN can't realistically be measured at a high level of detail for a global supply chain. I think the SBTN is a really great place to start. We've aligned our Langriffin platform with SBTN guidance, so you can measure all of these indicators out of the box. And and you can just go ahead and skip ahead to the questions of what actions can you take? What parts of your supply chain can you prioritize? And how can you meet those science-based targets that maybe your CSO just committed you to?
0: In all of this, of course, credibility is so important. Where how do you recommend ensuring that data is credible?
1: The most important thing is transparency in the data and in the methods. Is this something that others can inspect, can verify and validate? Or is it a black box? I worked for many years as a data scientist. I know how easy it is to make a mistake or to fudge the data or to choose validation metrics that make your data look good. You can't hide when the data is fully open. We just published an open access data set of land, carbon and biodiversity indicators for agricultural supply chain accounting. Everyone's welcome to use this data. We publish our data and methods openly so that any mistakes can be found and we can correct them so that anyone can check our assumptions and so that others can use and recreate and modify and build on top of it. This data is built on top of other trusted open access data sources, things from like Global Forest Watch that many folks are familiar with. And through transparency and use, data becomes credible. Of course, there's always value in collecting locally specific stuff that only you can collect yourself, stuff that that takes time and money to collect. That you need to build trust into the data collection process. For data that's produced at a large scale, it should be transparent.
0: Something that will be impacting all of this, of course, is shifting regulation. You've mentioned already the European Union Deforestation Regulation, something that everyone seems to be talking about right now. So, I mean, what are the impacts of that and other regulatory changes? This is another whole a
1: big topic. I could go off on how the EUDR is both hugely positive, I think. And also a huge distraction that's diverting resources away from big actions towards the minutiae of traceability. Companies need to know the exact locations of where a huge number of materials, commodities, not just materials, commodities, right? Globally traded commodities are being sourced from. And the reality of commodities is, right, they're fungible. That's why we call them commodities. So how can we trace these when they change every year and they put into big warehouses and big ships? It's a huge challenge that I don't think anyone is quite sure how to address yet. Beyond this challenge of traceability, it's clear that regulation is going in one direction and that the expectations for reporting on nature impacts and risks are only increasing. This stuff is getting easier to measure. This is why the European Union thought they could put the EUDR in place and have everyone comply with it this year. We're going to see more and more of these types of regulations as the data increases the ability to locate things increases. Companies that are taking the first steps, companies that are getting ahead in this will be in in a stronger position in the future, I
0: think. You mentioned positive side of the regulation. I mean, there's been a lot around about negative consequences or unintended negative consequences. What for you are the positives that can come from it?
1: The biggest positive is this focus on location data. This recognition that impacts are happening in specific locations around the world and whether or not you can track those impacts to those locations, the location of that impact matters. We can see from space what's going on. This regulation puts that expectation in place. It does provide this extra burden of tracing, which we will see how that turns out. The fact that we need to know where materials are being produced, we need to know the context and the impacts around them, puts a different kind of lens on sustainability and reporting than we've had in the past. In the past, we mostly used footprinting, right? We mostly used life cycle assessment that comes from national level statistics. But what we really need is to look at places where these impacts are occurring.
0: How do you see best practice in all of this developing? What are you hoping to see? What are you expecting to see? There's a huge amount of innovation
1: going on in this area. It's overwhelming sometimes. I think the biggest trend, again, is the use of spatial data. With all the new satellites going up and we have lots of space startups, remote sensing startups, machine learning startups, with all the scientific innovation going on in this space, we have lots of university researchers looking at mapping pasture lands, looking at better detecting things at a large scale. We have cheaper sensors, eDNA, better methods, bioacoustics of of measuring biodiversity. We will be able to see, we can see much more about how the world is changing and how it's different in every part of the planet. The EUDR, as as I just mentioned, is built on this premise. And we see the SBTN and TNFD and many others calling out the need to map and locate and are building these sort of data sets, these spatial data sets, into their standards and guidance. So whether it's by tracing supply chains to their origins, or through probabilistic techniques like the ones we built into LandGriffin and we've released openly, we're all going to be mapping more and more. Of course, on-the-ground action will always require diving into specific suppliers and landscapes and communities, and we're always going to be doing certain types of lifecycle assessments. But almost all of our planning and assessments of impacts and risks will be based on map data in the future, I think.
0: Okay, well, it's going to be fun finding out for sure. As you say, there's a lot changing, a lot shifting. But thanks very much, Francis Gassert, for leading us through some of what might be happening in the future.
1: Thank you.